continuing in our series of uh, through Exodus, and uh, today we are in Exodus chapter 34, so if you uh, need a Bible, there should be one in the pew right uh, by your knees, and if you uh, have used them all, raise your hand, and we have a few that are underneath the pews in the front, and we can get you one. Uh, Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the opportunity to learn who you are uh, as it is shared in your word. Would you calm our minds so we may be able to focus? Would you uh, allow our ears to be in tune uh, with your voice that we might hear uh, and apply your word to our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, if you are new with MacAv, we are happy to have you here. Uh, our desire is that you would grow in Christ, know Christ, and live for Christ. And so during our worship time, uh, we allow people to ask questions. Uh, our hope is that you would leave here equipped and able to live more, uh, more bold for the Lord. And sometimes you might have a question in the midst of our preaching. Uh, we just ask that if you raise the question, you do so because it will help the entire congregation. Uh, if you have a question that's a little bit more personal to what you're going through or a more little attuned in how you're viewing life, then please ask me. But let's do that and have that conversation after service. Amen. Amen. So, family, we are in chapter 34. Uh, a quick snapshot back. God is called the amazing people. Uh, he's called uh, the people of Israel his own and set them apart. Uh, and it was nothing special of these people. It was just God's heart, his passion, his love for himself, uh, his love for his own glory, uh, that he set these people apart. And in doing so, he asked that they would love him and him only. And so they are in this uh, They are now out in the wilderness. They have this leader named Moses. And while Moses is up talking to God, receiving instruction, the people get a little frustrated. They get a little antsy. The timing that they have just isn't lining up with God. So they make an idol. And this idol is made out of things that God created, yet they worship it like it is the creator. And God is furious. He doesn't he doesn't like that anyone would be in his position. He's a jealous God. And so his 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 anger comes forth, but he does not punish his people, though the sin of their action deserves death. He does not kill them. He actually hears the voice of Moses and Moses goes before God and says in in, in Leon speak, give him another chance because you're faithful. Give him another chance because you're patient. Give him another chance. And, And God says, my presence will be with you. And so now we come to 34. Because in our in our last chapter, in chapter 33, Moses says a couple things. He says, God, I want to know your ways and I want to experience your glory. I want to know your ways and I want to experience your glory. And so in 34, we're going to see God respond. Would you read with me as we start? Uh, You don't have to read out loud, but we're starting in verse one. The Lord said to Moses, cut for yourself two tablets of stone like the first. And I will write on the tablets the words that were on the first tablets, which you broke. Be ready by the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself there, there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you and let no one be seen throughout all the mountain. 
Let no flocks or herds graze opposite that mountain. So Moses cut two tablets of stone like the first. And he rose early in the morning and went up on Mount Sinai as the Lord had commanded him. And he took in his hands two tablets of stones. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. But who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us. For it is a stiff necked people and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for your inheritance. So the Lord, the Lord says to Moses, I want you to cut these two tablets, but the person writing on the tablets is going to be God. And in verse three, he even says, I don't even want another person to come with you because right now my glory might might reach out and 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 kill that person. The, the sinful state of humanity is such that I don't want anyone in my presence except you, Moses. So come alone. But he proclaims his name, the Lord, the Lord in verse six, self-sufficient, the Lord, the Lord, self-existing. Remember when he when he met Moses at the burning bush and Moses says, what should I what should I say? What what, what name do I ascribe to you? Said that I am always was. Always is and always will be the Lord. But but remember, Moses asked God, show me your ways. And so here we actually get a pretty detailed description of the ways of God, of his character, of the unique aspects of who God is. And he describes him here. I very rarely actually like to. Like read verbatim a quote from someone else. Uh, but Doug Stewart in, in his uh, commentary on Exodus said things so well that I want to put up this list that kind of shares what each of these descriptions that God gives about himself. He says that I'm merciful. That he genuinely cares about humans and holds toward them a tender attitude of concern and mercy. That he's gracious. He does things for people that they do not deserve and goes beyond what might be expected to grant truly kind favor toward people. Favor of which they are not necessarily worthy. That he's slow to anger. That his patience with people's uh, less than satisfactory behavior and or failures in any realm, including the moral, is very great. But yet he's slow to anger. He's abounding in steadfast love. That word abounding literally means great. And that love connotes a long term, reliable, uh, reliable loyalty of one member of a covenant relationship to another. 
However fickle and unreliable humans may be in their relationship to God, he is nothing of the sort, but can be counted on in every situation and at all times to be completely faithful to his promises for his people. This is your God. This is our God. This is you want to know his ways. He's defining it right here. He's abounding in truth that whatever he says is correct and reliable and may be trusted to the extent of life and death issues. Indeed, eternal life and death issues. And lastly, but definitely not least, forgiving of sin. That he does not reluctantly forgive sins. He does not reluctantly forgive sins against himself and others. But he so eagerly, as a manifestation of his character, delights in doing so. Family, I, I've, I know that as you hear, see me read these, that you begin to identify with one of these a little bit more than another. Maybe it's, it's, it's been your experience. Slow to anger is something that you've never experienced. Maybe you had a, a, a parent like me that, that had a short temper. And everything from not sweeping to uh, um, leaving, the, not picking up the mail could be responded to as if it was something catastrophic. But yet you hear that God is completely the opposite. That he's slow to anger. Or maybe for you it is, it is steadfast love and you are thinking about the sin that you have been in in your past or might be in today and you're saying how how can he love me? But he's showing us, he's telling us, he's helping us know that even when you don't feel it described here in his word, something that is reliable, true and steadfast is, is something that you can hold on to that his love is continuous. His love is relentless. His love is pure. But notice how he switches the tone a little bit in verse seven. He says, will by no means clear the guilty. So he just gave us six attributes of who he is, six ways to describe his character. You want to know my ways? Here's here's six. It's not exhaustive, but it gives you a good glimpse. But you can't play me. Yeah, I'm I'm, I'm patient. (laughs) I'm, I'm slow to anger, but that doesn't mean that doesn't give you a free will to just sin as you desire. That doesn't mean you can just indulge in sin to the utmost degree and expect you can just depend on my being slow to anger. No, like I, I still while while having all of these attributes, I still am a God of justice. I still am a God that will punish sin. And so we then see him continue discussing what sin looks like in verse seven, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. There's this concept called generational sin. And uh, in our hood, we have a very warped view of this. And the view is that like what my parents did or people before me did, I have to do as well. So basically, 
I'm just living out what was what was done to me. I'm just doing what was done before me. I, I, I know this is I know it's jacked up, but you got to blame them. And I, I, I remember uh, my grandmother looking at me when I was about 17 and she said, look, I know that the TV tells you one thing and I know that uh, you see modeled for you one thing. But I'm going to tell you this, boy. I don't want you ever touching alcohol. Alcohol will destroy you. Because it's in your genes. And grandma was a she was a postal worker. Our family was able to to move forward because of her establishing things financially as a postal worker. An amazing woman that I love dearly, self-educated. But she she didn't study the the gene syndrome and the come on, Matt, give me some medical terms to help me understand. She didn't she she wasn't learned in medicine, but she she was kind of recognizing I see it in this man and this man and this man and I can't she could go back generation upon generation and share with me how alcohol had killed destroyed a part of the fabric of our family and it's funny because grandma was on to something as I started doing my own research I said whoa there's statistics that prove that you can have an Something inside of you, a gene, I don't know what to call it, but they've said you can be born with an alcohol type, you being prone to alcoholism if your mom and dad, or actually if one of them was an alcoholic. Wow, grandma was on to something. But even more than just what the gene could be, there's even greater studies that show if you grew up in an environment of alcoholism, Pretty good stats show you'll be you're high, you're very more than likely will be an alcoholic. You see, generational sin is not something that that is that is foreign. We, we get that you might be prone to something. And that's what the, the Bible is saying. Hey, it's, it's not that you are without any type of responsibility. Yeah, there's an environment that you grew up in. If you grow up in an environment of worshiping another God, then guess what? You're probably going to worship another God. And so God wants to make sure that his people don't even enter into the type of lifestyle where they will worship another God. But in college, I had uh, started drinking the day after I graduated high school and college, I graduated from just drinking beer to actually drinking hard liquor. And then uh, I was at the point of kicking it so much that there are actual uh, events that I've attended that I can't remember. Don't know how I made it home. And I remember one day drinking and I said, why am I drinking? God had perked something in me to ask the question, and I realized I was doing it out of an insecurity. And that actually led, that began the road towards me asking more questions and God answering more questions, and ultimately I got saved. But at some point, as, as, as God presented himself to me, he was giving me the opportunity to be freed from bondage. To say, yeah, there may be something in you. You can't remember a man within your family that doesn't drink. 
You've had to help father uncles into the house. Hold them while they, yeah, all of that is true. But you know what? I died so that you could be freed from bondage. The bondage of sin. So what are you going to choose, Leon? You see, God is wanting to make sure that you understand the six characteristics. You understand how loving, how amazingly patient, how he's slow to anger, but how he will punish sin. And how he will punish the sins of each generation as they accept it and delight in it themselves. Yeah, there may be patterns, but each generation has a choice. You're going to choose me or you're going to choose the excuse that my parents did it. So I'll follow suit. He died to set us free, family. And we are free indeed. Walk in it. So Moses then responds in verse eight. And we only in verse eight. Y'all like, how long are we going to be? Don't worry. I'm going to get the party moving. Come on. So in verse eight, Moses gives this response and he responds by, excuse me, I got lost with my, my scripture. He responds by worshiping God. And it says in verse eight, Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And uh, I, I'm, I don't want us to place ourselves. It is not good for you or I to place ourselves in the role of. Of the biblical character, okay? You and I are not Moses, all right? Just, just to make sure you and I are not Moses. And so don't, don't, but, but there are things we can learn from Moses' life. There are principles that we can come to understand. And I just actually was really encouraged by this because Moses makes a request in verse 9, but it says he worships in verse 8. He worshiped before he began asking. That's, that's a good encouragement to me that, that those six attributes are enough for us to worship God. What, 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 what does it look like for us at times to worship God and not ask for anything? Is, is, is he being slow to anger enough? Could, 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 you, could you spend 10 minutes just talking about his mercy and his grace? Is, 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 is his provision, is his uh, um, compassion enough? Is his abounding and steadfast love enough? Is his forgiveness of sin enough for us to worship? But then he makes a, a, a request for the people. Join me in verse 10. Let's continue on. And he said... Um, And so now we're moving on to the covenant being renewed. He said, behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their Asherah. For you shall worship no other God for the Lord who has 
whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice and you take of their daughters for your sons and their daughters whore after their gods and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. Got some some strong language in there, don't we? You, if you was daydreaming, hope it woke you up. What did he say? <laughs> it's in the Bible. <laughs> but notice the, the, the desire of God as he's working in his people. It's also not just about his people. Because in verse in verse uh, 10, you also see that this is an evangelistic move. The, the, the nations will see God's mighty hand on his people. Others will be able to testify that little Israel, little, little puny Israel, man, they just conquered like the, the, the Jebusites. They just handled the Canaanites like that had to be God because there's no way in the world <laughs> that people could do something like that. This is an evangelistic effort as well. But 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 in this stage, at this time, God's are conditional. He does say to them in verse 11, observe. That's saying obey. That's saying do what I say. That's saying follow my rules. That's saying what I said, can you do that? When I'm asked you to do that, do that. Okay? Can you do that? That's that's God is saying observe. These are these are the conditions. If I'm I'm gonna be providing all of this to you, protecting, caring for you, guiding for you, can you obey me? Can you obey me? And I don't know about you, but I, I, I like to obey when I know how bad not obeying can be. <laughs> you know, like, like and, I, and I love that God is trying, he gives you conditions. He'll let you know all the, all the negative things that will happen if you don't obey. But he's trying to let them know, isn't my character enough? Can, can't you choose to obey me because I'm patient? Because I'm, I'm steadfast in love because I forgive your sin. But, but, but how, how, I mean, can, I, I can't even imagine if my kids came to me and just said, hey, dad, like, you know, I know you asked me to stay on the porch, but what would happen if I don't? <laughs> can you just obey me and stay on the porch? Because now, honestly, if I begin to tell you everything that could happen, it can blow your mind. I mean, sure, you can run in the street and play, get hit by a car. So while I'm looking the other way, you can get down, somebody could kidnap you. Uh, someone, you could trip, fall, bust your knee. Like, th- th- it's endless the amount of things that could happen if you're disobedient. So can you just obey? Why, why don't you just obey? Because I'm good, because of my character, because of who God is. But but then moves on to help us understand kind of this this whole like like relational intimacy that happens through idolatry. And we get that in 15 through 17. Because what God is trying to help them understand is is the, the that he wants them to himself and he is a jealous God and he will not share his glory with anyone else. And 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 what is 
what is heartbreaking of 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 the the understanding of what a prostitute is. What is heartbreaking is that an individual specifically here, the, the context is one of a woman. What is heartbreaking is that that a woman would sell her body for for financial gain. But but the principle that God is really getting at is not simply that that she's selling her body, but that she's unfaithful. That actually we we'd actually define prostitution by brother. If you thought you was the only one, you kind of stupid because there was someone here before you. There'll be someone here after you. And there is no commitment, no commitment. There is no faithfulness. And so what God is trying to help them see is you are foolish to begin to marry into a lifestyle that shows absolutely no commitment even to their gods. And you sure are not committing to me. And in that in that era, when a woman married into a family, she brought her entire family with her. So this woman comes in and she's been worshiping another God. And now she brings her dad, mom, brothers, extended family, and they come in worshiping another God. So what's going to happen within the camp when you start marrying all these different influence? You think you're going to keep the camp pure? So don't don't marry them because I'm about keeping the camp holy. It's never a, and, and occasionally somebody might try to say, yeah, this is a this is a, you know, kind of a, a, a jab at, you know, races staying separate, but not at all. Like God has never in his word said that races should not marry because of their ethnic background. He says races should not marry because of their their religious affiliation. So if you worship another God and you happen to be from another people, guess what? You shouldn't marry us. But if you worship Yahweh, if you worship the Lord, the Lord, then come on in. Because worshiping and at submitting to this holy God, obeying, as it were, his commands is far greater than an ethnic difference. But an ethnic difference will never trump his holy character. And so as these people want to want to worship other gods, he's trying to keep the camp holy. Continue reading with me, family. In verse 18, you shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. As I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib, for in the month of Abib, you came out from Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of your sons you shall redeem and none shall appear before me empty handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year shall all your males appear before the Lord, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and in larger borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord, your God, three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until the morning. 
the best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. We get these three different feasts, these three different celebrations, these three different uh, times where the community is to to worship God and gather. But kind of nestled within God giving these mandates for when worship shall happen, you get uh, verse 21. That you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest time, you shall rest. It is it is God helping his people see that rest is paramount. Pastor preached about about Sabbath a, a few weeks ago, but it's been a theme throughout our hopefully your time at Macav that we encourage. Think the Bible calls us to rest. What that rhythm looks like for you, we can't determine it. Uh, some people's rest looks different than others, but it is it is clear that God desires it for us. And one of the reasons why it's really clear here is these these feasts. Each feast comes after a harvest. All right, you had animal harvest that took place. Then you had grain harvest that took place. And God is saying, "I want you to rest." Right after the harvest. Um, imagine if you came to a teacher and said, I know you've been getting ready all summer. The, the students just started this week and now I want you to rest. Or to an accountant and said, hey, man, I know April 18th coming. But you got to rest. Do, 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 you, do, you, do you see the, the craziness of, of, of the rhythm of the time? I mean, these people are harvesters. They are living off this food, whether they're going to eat it or sell it. I have worked diligently to put this in the ground, and now it's up, and you're telling me on the seventh day I'm supposed to leave it out there? Lead, 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 I can see the food right there. It's like if you worked seven days, if you worked six days and, 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 and your, your boss paid you some money each day you worked. And on the seventh day, he just set the money right there. Rest. Don't touch that. I see you looking at that 20. Don't touch it. You know, I mean, think of how tempting this is. And not only just for what they could get, but also your protection. I mean, you have you have people that are not of our of our people. You have other nations that are around you watching. They see you plant it. They looking at the sky. They know about when things harvest. They see all your crops have come in. But Lord, you know how they could come in and steal. And you want me to rest today? Yes. Every time you make an investment. Every time you have the the potential to reap a great harvest, every time that the season of harvest comes, I want you to rest. It's it's convicting for us, isn't it? We we don't live in that day and age. We, we, We can save up and, you know, have the savings accounts, all these different ways, but... But I'll tell you, like, resting is hard. Resting can be challenging. Finding rest in the midst 
of, of a crazy schedule can be difficult. But God seems to say, and he seems to demonstrate again and again, trust me, when you obey, I have so much greater in store for you. Trust me. Didn't I say I was steadfast in love? Didn't I say I was abounding? Didn't I say I was great? Didn't I say my word was true? So do I need to show you why resting is good? Do I need to prove to you all the ways that resting is good? Or can you, can you just obey? Interesting that this, it comes at this time. Can we just obey? Verse 27. And the Lord said to Moses, write these words for in accordance with these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote on the tablets, the words of the covenant, the 10 commandments family, all of these different uh, aspects of this chapter are, are, are kind of linking up right here. And the whole point God wants us to get is that even though the people had sinned against him, he was renewing his covenant with them. He wanted them to see that I'm going to give you, I'm not creating a new, a new covenant, but actually the covenant that I had instilled initially, I'm going to see that through. And you can, you can put your life's bet on that that I will come through on this promise that I've made you. I will renew this covenant. And so that character that I talked about, my, my request for you to be only true to me, you can, you can best believe that I will fulfill everything that I've laid out in the covenant. So lastly, we have a, 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 an experience. First, I think we got the answer to Moses' question. God, show me your ways. Show me your ways. But then he asked, God, I want to experience your glory. Look what happens to Moses. Verse 29, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, as he came down from the mountain, Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Aaron and all the people of Israel saw Moses and behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come near him. But Moses called to them and Aaron and all the leaders of the congregation returned to him and Moses talked with them. Afterward, all the people of Israel came near and he commanded them all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And when Moses had finished speaking with them, he put a veil over his face. Whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he would remove the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the people of Israel what he was commanded, the people of Israel would see the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses's face was shining. And Moses would put the veil of his face again. And Moses would put the veil over his face again until he went in to speak with him. So after seeing this, this cloud, this glory cloud fall on Sinai, then the cloud leaves and Moses comes back towards the people and Moses's face is glowing. Now, we don't know exactly what's taking place with Moses. We don't know if it's 
uh, like his skin just has a glow. We don't know if it's in, in kind of a, we just don't know how it was manifested. What we do know is that it was, it was clear to sight. People could see, man, this, whatever he just did with God is still present on him. And, uh, and it, was, it was to the point where people were scared. And he had to reassure them that it's kind of, it's all right. It's all right. I've been with God. But, but, but I was, I was talking with a brother this week. And and again, I want us to make sure that we don't make ourselves Moses. Okay. If if you come through that door uh, with your face shining, I'm going to run because I think you've been eating plutonium candy bars or something. I I don't know. I'm just saying. Nowadays, we, we don't expect people to glow like that. But I was, I was talking with a brother from our body this week, and he said, he said like, Pastor, I, I realize that I am actually far more compassionate when I spend time with God. He said, Pastor, I, I realize that I'm able to be more merciful. I'm able to be gracious. I actually have a heart that's for other people when I spend time with God. And family, I, 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 I've, I wrestle with this a little bit because I don't think that the world should just be able to like see two people do something that's exactly the same. One's Christian and one's not. And the world's just supposed to know because we got the Christian on us. Like we got the Christian glow. Like I don't I don't believe that. I do believe that we are called not simply to, to serve people in, in deed, but also in word, telling people the reason why it is we serve in the manner we serve. But I also think, I also think there's something that is distinct from the people of God when we come out of the presence of the Lord. There is something different about the way we operate in life. There's something different about the compassion we should have towards one another. The mercy that we extend towards one another. It, 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 it should not come from us mimicking the good patterns of the world. But it should come from us having an intimacy with a holy God who loves us and says, you can be compassionate because I'm compassionate. You can be full of mercy because I am full of mercy. You can radiate the love of God because you have been in his presence. I was uh, in, in, encouraged by these words, but, but uh, felt so separated from it because I've, I've never been able to, to see a Moses type experience like this. I've never seen a, a, a glowing that was just natural and visual, but I've seen compassion move through this body. And I've seen mercy move through this body. And I know that it flows at times from an intimacy with the Lord. But family, let us continue to pursue that. Let us continue to be a people that move. Will our gifts be gifts that are just kind of good by the world standards? Or will our gifts be fruits of the spirit? And fruit of the spirit comes from intimacy It comes from a a working of the spirit in our lives. I want to encourage us to, to, to spend time with God so that we may radiate his love, so that we may show others his compassion and mercy.
Will you pray with me? Father, what you did at the cross allows us to understand mercy and grace. The sending of your spirit allows us to be ambassadors, to extend mercy and grace. Lord, would you care for those that are here that maybe uh, they either don't believe, don't don't trust you right now, or are struggling greatly with uh, submitting their lives to you? Would you allow them to realize that your character, the way you describe yourself, Lord, is is can be trusted? They can put their hope in you, and that the work of Jesus on the cross. Uh, continues to exemplify all aspects of your character. Father, would you care for uh, those that want to model fruit of the Spirit, want to display a, uh, a fruit of walking with you, but struggle to spend time with you? Would you care for them? Would you care for us? Would you allow us all to not do more Christian things, but to spend more time with Christ? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.